Welcome to Vitals, where we explore the most pressing topics in healthcare and data. Today, we're getting a pulse on how SDOH impacts population health and how payers, providers, and patients can work together to identify and prioritize the social factors in their care programs that can lead to better health outcomes. On the call today are Lenny Green, staff writer here at Arcadia, Jennifer Palello, Senior Director of Quality and Population Health at Community Health Plan of Washington, and Arjun Gosain, Senior Data Analyst here at Arcadia. I'm really excited about this conversation in particular, and I don't want to hold us back anymore from getting into the meat of things. So, Lenny, I'm going to hand it over to you, and really excited to see what you all have to say. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mike. Jen and Arjun, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion today. Let's go ahead and dive in. Um, we know that SDOH is important. A recent survey showed that while care received in medical facilities can account for 10 to 20% approximately of health outcomes, the remaining 80 to 90% can be attributed to social factors. So Jen, starting with you, I'd love to hear a little bit about what CHPW is uh, doing around SDOH and sort of the mission and how you approach these issues. Sure. Um, thanks for, for having me. Um, I'd much rather be with some of the viewers in Florida today rather than in Chile, Spokane. We had negative temperatures here this morning. So um, it's great to be here. Um, I'm, I'm excited to share some of the work that Community Health Plan of Washington has been doing over the last several years. Um, we are a not-for-profit health plan. We serve the entire state of Washington. Uh, we have just over 300,000 members, and a majority of those members are Medicaid members. Uh, and then we've got a smaller line of business, which is um, our Medicare Advantage, which includes special needs populations. And uh, then we have a smaller product on the exchange. Um, we're very rooted in our mission, which ties to all of this uh, social determinants work that we've been doing. Um, you know, we are, are, you know, dedicated to serving the underserved and marginalized populations. Our mission um, is to be a leader in whole person, uh, equitable care. And we, you know, we live and work in the communities in which we provide care. And so we're very invested in this process and the, and the work that we're doing uh, around social determinants. Um, our, our health plan was founded in 1992 by uh, 20 federally qualified health centers that are located across the state of Washington. So we've got ur urban and rural centers working together to solve uh, this problem. Those health centers also created the um, Community Health Network of Washington, which is uh, our governing body of the plan. And uh, that provides advocacy and different activities for uh, our community health uh, centers. So some of the work that we are doing when we're talking about the network, when I refer to the network, that is you know, all of our now 21 federally qualified health centers across the state uh, that we're working together with um, to, to tackle this, this problem of, of social determinants and you know, how to collect data in a in a comprehensive way, what do we do with it? How do we influence providers? How do we help care teams utilize the, the, the data that we are collecting? Um, and you know, like many organizations probably tuning in today, we, we've struggled with this and had kind of a rough, rocky journey uh, along the way. You know, we started really uh, looking at this uh, problem 
2016, 2017, and really got going. And I can talk about some of the st uh, strategic work we've, we've done with assessing some of the work across the network. Um, but that really kind of kicked us into high gear in terms of looking at you know, the availability of social data across the network. You know, we had a lot of providers using paper, for example, and, and you know, not putting Z codes on a claim. And, you know, how do you, how do you collectively organize efforts around, uh, around these problems? So um, really, you know, over the last five, six years, been working in parallel with our network partners to, to tackle some of this. And I'm excited to, to talk about this today. I was a little reluctant to join this webinar today because by no means, Mike, I think you said we were experts, not experts, just, you know, maybe um, bruised and battered a little bit from working on this problem because it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. And hopefully the viewers today can relate to that uh, because you really do have to kind of roll up your sleeves and, and get in there to tackle this this problem. So Arjun, I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, when you were introduced to SDOH and why it's so important to your role at Arcadia today. Uh, thanks, Lenny. Uh, so thanks for in, in, uh, involving me as well in the discussion. For those who know me, I always love talking about SDOH. Uh, I was actually introduced to uh, social determinants of health around six, seven years ago uh, during a community ride along in Michigan uh, when we were visiting uh, underprivileged and under the poverty line communities in Michigan and really interacted with patients who were either homeless or didn't have enough food. Uh, and that really struck a, a, a tone with me around uh, how, how much important social and economic factors are in a patient's health. And that has really given that's where I found my passion for SDOH. And I've been striving to learn and implement various strategies to try to address that issue ever since. At Arcadia, uh, I got the unique opportunity to really develop an SDOH uh, product offering from scratch. Uh, thanks to the amazing teams at Arcadia, as a data analyst, I get access to this rich data set, which is aggregated across multiple sources. And I thought this was the perfect opportunity to really leverage all that data to dig deep into identifying the right patients for social concerns and trying to do some meaningful insights and uh, analysis and about health outcomes for this population. I also get to work with amazing leaders like Jen uh, on trying to solve this issue at their organization as well. Excellent. So I would love to start a bit with the basics, just talking about um, the 12 standard SDOH categories and the uh, health equity framework that's generally put forward by CMS. These range from food insecurity to language barriers. It's quite the spectrum. Arjun, can you give us a bit of an overview of these factors and why they're so important to capture? Sure. So when we talk about SDOH, uh, SDOH basically are conditions in the environment in which people are born, live, learn, work, worship, and age, and that can affect a people's health outcomes, well-being, or quality of life. Uh, in an in initial uh, uh, proof of concept analysis across different uh, customers, we've really found out that they do have a really big impact on outcomes. So, for example, we found out that members with social concerns are two times more likely to be readmitted within 30 days of a discharge. Uh, members with specific housing concerns who, don't, who are homeless tend to visit the ER five times more than members without that concern. Or even members with social adversity have six times higher the cost PMPM uh, annually uh, when compared to a, a non-SDOH population. 
So these really were really uh, uh, really stand out uh, when we talk about outcomes. Uh, apart from cost and utilization, we also saw that SGH also contributes to wide health disparities and inequities. Uh, so minority populations tend to be disproportionately affected by them. So therefore, it becomes very imperative to address this issue to help better health outcomes, but also achieve health equity. And Jen, did you have anything to add about this question, just the sort of spectrum and variance between these different SDOH issues? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the list is exhaustive here, and, and I think it's daunting when you're um, an organization maybe just starting out or in the middle of this journey trying to figure out where where to start. And, you know, you may or may not have comprehensive data to lean on to kind of show you where you should start. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough to, to look across our population to figure out you know, where were those areas of greatest needs and where, where we should focus our, our resources? Um, believe it or not, employment, housing, food insecurity, and transportation were among our top uh, social needs and where we decided to kind of build out resources and, and really kind of dig into areas where we could have uh, a greater impact and working with our community partners to understand what challenges lie with within each community. Um, you know, everybody's experiencing long wait times for housing resources, for example. So, you know, really trying to figure out what the what the framework and what the lay of the land looks like in each of our individual communities. So you mentioned transportation. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, there's a statistic that each year, 3.6 million people in the U.S. do not obtain medical care due simply to transportation issues. So healthcare organizations nationwide are coming up with very novel solutions, um, from paying for ride shares to providing van services. And I wonder what this says about the changing scope of healthcare, moving outside the hospital walls and innovating kind of beyond what was expected. Jen, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, you know, I think transportation, you know, it's it's one of the uh, social areas that I that I mentioned earlier that we're focusing on. And like many plans, we have found resources to help connect members to transportation resources. Um, we looked at our data and found that members experiencing transportation issue had uh, or were 1.7 times more likely to have an ER visit in the coming year. Um, as opposed to those who did not have transportation issues. So we really started paying attention to, okay, how can we, how can we connect our members? This is an important um, piece of medical care, even if it's not direct medical care, right? Um, we also looked at trying to find creative ways and, and, and be innovative in terms of looking at how to how to connect members that are really the hardest to reach. You know, as I mentioned, we've, we're majority of the Medicaid uh, plan. And so, you know, reaching those hard to reach members is a challenge. Um, we're excited, we're working, we've got a pilot project this year um, where we've got an advocate going into um, members' homes that are identified as high risk or um, high risk on the medical side or social side or a combination of both. Uh, these medical advocates are visiting the members in the home, but most often than not, they're transporting them to a medical appointment and taking them to the pharmacy to make sure that they're getting their medications and, you know, helping them figure out their medications and their next appointments in between in between visits. So 
really excited to see how this um, medical advocate program goes and, and, you know, not only impacting transportation of the members, but helping with social isolation and, and um, some of those mental health issues that come around with, um, you know, being socially isolated and alone like most of our members are. So I want to touch on another really kind of large SDOH concern that has a lot of ramifications, which is housing insecurity. Housing insecure patients can spend nine times as much on emergent medical admissions compared to housed patients. So I wonder what your thoughts are on the costs across SDOH factors. Um, do these high costs justify stronger collaboration between payers, providers, and other community services? And I guess let's start with you on this one as well, Jen. Uh, you know, this, I think, is the big elephant in the room. Um, I don't think our state is unique in, in terms of having way more referrals for housing than there are resources. Um, I think that's a common problem in most communities. And so, you know, the, the problem is, I mean, we know that the, the unhoused have, you know, higher medical costs and poor outcomes. Uh, we've got, we've partnered with a couple of our communities to um, look at medical respite programs in terms of how we can, you know, help those members at least that are discharging from inpatient stay to have some place to rest and recover um, from their um, from their illness. But you know, we we have the long list of of wait time for um, medical respite and just general housing resources. So, you know, I I think. It looks different across every community, but trying to understand what that community landscape looks like and how you can partner with your community organizations. Um, you know, a lot of this goes back to policy um, and providing resources for those community-based organizations that we work with. We, let's see, a couple years ago, actually it's probably been three years ago now, um, you know, we're working with a, um, a platform that connects our social service members, our social service workers, our um, care managers to social services in different communities that, we're, that we serve. And um, it's difficult, especially when talking about housing, because a lot of these community-based organizations have closed the doors, so to speak, to, to, to accepting these referrals. So, from a policy standpoint, how can we work with these community-based organizations? Because when they partner with plans like us or larger um, health system uh, organizations, there's more likely of a chance that they get a community grant, for example. So really trying to, to get in the community and, and partner as best we can is, is at least we found um, to be helpful for those uh, community-based organizations. Arjun, from your perspective, I'm curious what the data tells about uh, the costliness of SDOH as it sort of trickles out to other um, expenses and conditions. Yeah, so I think uh, in our initial analysis on data, I think the trend is across different data factors. So SDOH patients tend to have higher costs, high utilization uh, when it's across different factors. And just to add on what uh, to Jen's point was, someone asked me this question, and in a different SDOH session was who's really responsible for uh, addressing this issue? Is it the government? Is it like private companies or uh, payers, providers? And for me, uh, if, you, if you ask me, my opinion is just that everyone's equally responsible to address such a large issue in healthcare. It cannot be done by one particular stakeholder uh, 
itself. So as Jen said, a strong collaboration between your community resources, with your providers, with government grants, uh, uh, even private uh, private companies like ride-sharing companies, all those together, when they come together and help out each other, we can really move, move a long way in uh, trying to address this issue. So I think I'm going to ask a question that I think looms over this entire conversation, which is about challenges in just capturing the data. So obviously capturing SDOH data is not an easy endeavor. And I would love to hear some of the challenges that you face when it comes to data collection. Um, maybe let's start with you on this one as well, Arjun. Yeah, so I think uh, one of the major challenges, like you said, for is data capture when you talk about SDOH and which is really the step one of like really identifying the right patients. So there, there was always an issue with lack of ICD coding. The, there's not enough uh, claims or clinical sources encounters where you're getting really uh, coded for those SDOH specific Z codes. So which I have seen there's a lot of improvement in the last couple of years, but still not up to the mark of like really identifying and coding them in a proper good volume. Also another issue when it comes to, when talking about data capture is really lack of standardization across like collection of data around questions and responses from different patient surveys. So when there's no really standard way of collecting data around no standard questions and responses to that, it makes it very difficult to really aggregate all that data and organize and clean that data uh, to do a robust and really uh, meaningful analysis to try to show uh, impact for these SDH populations. So Jen, what has your experience been at CHPW around collecting this data? Well, we've had um, quite the journey collecting uh, data across our network. I, um, five, six years ago when we started this process, we had about a third of, of our, our centers, you know, regularly capturing uh, SDOH uh, data. Uh, about 70% of them worked regularly adding that that necessary Z code on the claim. Um, <clears throat> so we we took that a step further and and looked at surveying all of our our membership and and just trying to figure out you know what what it is that they're uh, looking at in terms of social determinants and you know how they're collecting that information and how they're practically using it across their organization and we found that you know a majority of them were using paper surveys um, like a prepared template uh, to capture that, uh, which is unfortunate because oftentimes that wasn't uh, making it back into the EHR. They had some effort in terms of um, transferring that data, but that that didn't always happen. Um, we had you know some. Uh, some or, uh, clinics that were capturing it on maybe a couple providers. So it wasn't across the whole entire clinic. It was a handful of provider uh, that were uh, looking at this. Um, so it was really, you know, just an awareness of, hey, this is what it looks like across our network and how can we do better? So after that effort, we provided some um, resources to our CHCs to help them um, improve their data collection and capture uh, work process and was able to really look at ways to implement um, an electronic capture of that data, which really helped us um, improve our ability to see that data. But we also did a lot of training with uh, billing teams and 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 coders to um, help them 
be more aware of Z codes and why it's important. It's not always the provider that has to put a Z code on a claim, for example, and a lot of our CHCs didn't know that a social worker could add that Z code or a biller could add that Z code to a claim. We also did some work at the plan where we looked at uh, charts that we had received or claims that we had received and um, gave the clinics a list of members that we think were homeless based on the information that we had at the plan. And could they go back and look at those members? And if they are truly homeless, could they go back and add that Z59 code and, and resubmit the claim for us? And that's been an effort that we've done um, over the last several years and has improved our coding um, just on, on housing alone. We're branching that out to transportation and social, social isolation as well. Um, but just getting that general awareness and, and having time and space to train those care teams and billers um, is really important. And then having separate trainings for those providers, although that's a little bit, a little bit harder um, at times. So Arjun, as someone who's very entrenched in data at all times, I'd love to hear your perspective on this as well, the importance of coding and um, what proper coding can allow you to understand about SDOH. Yes, so I think a very good uh, proper coding really trans goes a long way in really identifying the right patients. So like uh, when, whenever you do any kind of uh, data analysis, like the number one uh, problem that anyone faces uh, is access to clean, uh, actionable data. And that's what at Arcadia, like when, when we, that's that's the beauty of me working at Arcadia is that uh, we do a lot of work, our teams do a lot of work in aggregating those across different sources and try to get a longitudinal view of every patient, which becomes really imperative to really uh, look at the right patients and do the right outcomes for uh, proper uh, for these SDH populations. As a follow-up to that question, I'd love to hear from both of you about the role that member engagement might play in improving access to SDOH data, and also the role that stigma plays in preventing the capture of this data. Um, Jen, would you like to speak on that first? Sure. Uh, yeah. Member engagement is is a continual effort for for us. You know, utilizing social workers and and our case managers to help further that engagement piece along. Um, has been impactful. Also giving giving patients and members the, the, the space and the privacy to fill out those social surveys has, has impacted the ability of us to enhance our data collection effort. Um, it's really a challenge for providers to ask a patient about their housing status if the provider knows that there's a mile long wait list for um, housing resources, they're not gonna ask about that. And conversely, if somebody's you know, newly unhoused, um, you know, being honest to the provider, you know, they may feel, uh, they may feel their cares impacted if, if they um, answer that they're you know, experiencing homelessness. So um, we've really, um, worked with our, our providers to help them have space for a more safe and secure private way for uh, patients to uh, respond to surveys and, and provide that information, which I think has helped. But, um, you know, again, I think those, those stronger partnerships, if you can engage with a social worker or a community health worker or someone that the patient or the member has that 
that social connection with to assure them that providing this information will enhance their care, not hurt their care. Um, unfortunately, we've had to we've had to deal with that on the engagement side um, and working with our underserved and and marginalized communities. They're, you know, oftentimes we have undocumented. Uh, members that are seeking care and they really don't want to share a lot of that information. And so establishing those personal connections and communications outside of the provider visit has been really helpful in terms of just safely making the, making the patient feel safe in, in answering and providing that information for us to uh, use across the network. So I think um, we've addressed a lot of the uh, issues that come up in data capture, but let's talk a little bit about some solutions. So uh, what advice or best practices would you share around properly capturing and using this SDOH data? Let's start with you on this one, Arjun. Yeah, so just to uh, follow up on Jen's point that I completely agree of, of, of really collecting the correct data and like targeting patients, I feel technology can really do go long ways in bridging that gap. So we initially started with just ICD codings and then because of federal mandates, we got access to a lot more point of care uh, surveys that Jen was talking about, really collecting that data and then having a good partnership with community resources. We also get access to a lot of publicly available data sources like the census block data. So mm -hmm. apart from ICD codes, these uh, surveys coming out of point of care EHRs, we have publicly available sources like census data, uh, the uh, vulnerability index, social vulnerability index that CMS provides, and there are a lot more sources that we can match with these uh, patient level information and identification to get, get us a bigger picture about every patient uh, in, in, the, in the social uh, concern category. Uh, once we have all this information, that can also enable us to do more on the predictive analytics side, where instead of like, uh, uh, prospectively identifying patients, we can actually predict if a patient is likely to have an SGOH concern in the near future. Uh, those are some things, cool things that can come into play once we have all these data collection uh, challenges figured out, and that is something coming in the works. Uh, really what we're trying to get at is once we identify the right patients, that really enables us to define impact uh, of what, what, why are we actually looking at this issue and why is it important? And once organizations can define impact, they can really justify a proper financial investment into uh, really doing a lot more into engaging patients and doing more social programs and also follow up with like text message campaigns or surveys to patients to really enable and close the loop on identifying patients and connecting them to, uh, to the different community resources. And Jen, same question over to you. Um, what have been some of your discoveries around solutions to data capture when you've been at CHPW? Well, first, just to kind of echo what Arjun was saying, um, you know, utilizing your Arcadia, the Arcadia platform has been really helpful for us across our, our network, um, you know, especially using that patient registry. Uh, you can look at census data to apply uh, to your patient population with, with uh, chronic conditions race, ethnicity, language. Um, you can slice and dice your, your registries in a number of ways and create custom reports, which have been really helpful to our different care teams looking to serve different populations. So, um, you know, I can think of, of one of our providers looking at, um, they've got a diabetes initiative going on right now. So, you know, they're using the registry and, and um, adding those chronic 
uh, um, chronic exams for diabetes. So, you know, the eye exam, um, the kidney exam, the A1C, all of those to the registry, plus adding race, ethnicity, language, um, and some of those social factors that they could really work with the community partners to um, not only identify those members, but help with additional outreach strategies. So um, text messaging that we've used with the platform has been extremely helpful and enabled us to um, connect with those uh, populations that we're really uh, looking to define when we're creating these segmented reports. So, you know, really that the Arcadia data has really helped us elevate our, our social uh, data capture and then just make it that much actionable across the network. Um, and then, you know, I think the other elephant in the room is the staffing challenges that the healthcare industry has had over the last few years and certainly um, uh, with the pandemic, but it's been difficult for us with those staffing shortages to find time for meaningful training, not only around just SDOH uh, data capture in terms of billing and coding, but having space and time for that community collaboration that is so needed in this effort. Um, so we've, we've been able to work with our providers and care teams for bite-sized trainings that they can do in between the visit uh, that they can access on their phone, for example. You know, I'm, we're talking like eight to 10 minutes at most. Pick a chronic condition and, you know, add that SDOH angle to it or the disparity angle to it. Uh, we found has been really helpful to just elevate the provider's uh, awareness when they're visiting with the with the member and also helping with the care teams that are doing the pre-visit planning efforts prior to the visit and, and making sure that that, eff, that effort at the visit is maximized. It seems like in concert with that training, um, coding is a, a good kind of next topic here. So uh, tell me more about kind of the importance of ICD-10 and Z codes and how this can be a challenge, how you've gotten it right at CHPW. Yes, it definitely can be a challenge. And I think it goes back to the, the awareness and education of the staff and then just the ability to have um, time in the day for staff to add that. You know, most of the time, billers and coders are paying attention to all of the, the conditions, the chronic conditions and the diagnosis codes that need to be on that claim. And social services codes are kind of an afterthought. Those Z59, you know, dot, 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 <laughs> the long list there are, you know, they're, they're just, they're oftentimes forgot and not added to the claim. And so we have spent time um, adding training onto additional coding training. So for example, if we're doing um, a, a, a 10 minute training on diabetes, adding, um, you know, awareness around housing and, and Z59 and how easy you can, you know, go ahead and add that if, you're, if your patient is experiencing homelessness. Um, we've also worked with providers um, in kind of a pre-post review session, which we've also found very effective. Again, they don't have a, obviously a lot of time we're experiencing, I don't know about anybody else, but we are experiencing access issues across our network. So we don't wanna take providers, you know, away for an hour or even a half an hour, that's too much. That's, you know, a few visits. So um, we have 
sat with a provider for 10 minutes and reviewed their coding history um, on our uh, subset of members and talked to them about some tips and tricks for coding and sent them about their way and then and then brought them back for a post coding review and said, okay, here's what we've experienced and noticed after um, after we met and you've had some time to readjust your coding. And, you know, obviously it's a collaborative effort with the provider because they have to be willing to have that, that 10 minutes, you know, pre and post. But um, we found that it helps the providers tremendously because they can think about those, adding those social codes. They are thinking more about how can I, how can I complete this? How can I incorporate the billing and coding team um, before the provider closed the visit and, and making sure that all of that is, is documented um, before uh, the visit is closed. So over to you, Arjun, I'd love to hear from a data analytics perspective, uh, the importance of getting this coding right and how people can do that. Yes, definitely. So it's like, like Jen already mentioned, like getting this coding right is really imperative to everything we do in terms of data analysis. Uh, identifying the right patients is you know, step one when you try to do any kind of analysis and really using a lot more technology around doing the right codes, identifying the right patients. As Jen mentioned, it's a very sensitive topic to talk about. So really identifying the right patients for the right concerns becomes a very imperative uh, objective when you're talking about social concerns. Uh, in general, technology plays a big role in uh, even outside of ICD coding. Uh, this technology makes a big impact in really doing a lot more meaningful uh, analysis around SDOH. For example, once you have identified the right patients through different strategies, you can really get into really doing some really nice dashboards or doing some geo analysis, really pinpointing the right patients and the right uh, zip codes to see where your housing concern populations really lie in your, in your uh, pool of, of patients. Really help uh, building cohorts right through different uh, different uh, different techno technologies. Really building uh, cohorts, facilitating outreach through through those avenues. Bring more of cost utilization impacts becomes a lot. Uh, all of these are residual factors of getting the coding right and identifying the right patients. Uh, once you have the coding right, you can identify patients on a patient grain, which becomes really important when you're tying this with other analysis, like Jen mentioned as well. So, for example, your organization really has a problem with high readmission rates. And if you think, uh, and we, we found out in our initial analysis that social factors play a big role when it term, in terms of outcomes related to readmissions as well. So once you have your ICD codes in place, you have your identification in place, you have that patient table uh, where you have identified social concerns on a patient grain, you can really, you can really add that so, so SDOH lens to any of these analysis. For example, the readmission analysis, you really see how much impact does a social factor have on that overall readmission for your organization. I'd love to kind of continue following this thread of technology's role in SDOH. So Jen, from your perspective, what are some tools that we can use to encourage patients to share their data and how can payers and providers augment their efforts through technology similar to what Arjun was mentioning? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think we just have to be creative in, in how we um, look to examine the, the problem of collect, collecting that data at the source. We've had some uh, CHCs that have uh, started using iPads, for example, with uh, a social 
assessment on the iPad for uh, members to survey in, in the waiting room, which has worked really, really well. Um, we've also worked with some of our providers on incorporating templates into their EHR that is a little bit more standard than capturing some social information in the social tab of their EHR, for example. So um, prepare, uh, the prepare template, they've got um, uh, different templates for different EHRs that are pretty standard and you can add in into the EHR and that has worked well for some of our, some of our um, health centers. Some of the bigger EHRs already have a, a social template in there. So, I, you know, a bigger challenge I probably should have mentioned that, you know, all of our 21 um, health centers are on a different EHR, which presents a very huge problem for us in terms of standardizing all of this data. And so, you know, we have tried, and I don't know that, um, I don't know that we're gonna get to a standard um, template or form or preferred format, just given all of the regional differences across the states that um, play a part in the capture of that data. But we have crosswalk a lot of the questions in terms of, you know, trying to standardize that and, and look at it from the network perspective. But, you know, I think as much as you can utilize your technologies like, um, you know, at, at data uh, capture for the assessment, um, whether it's, you know, be an iPad in the waiting room or through a social tab in the EHR has been has been really helpful for us. I think uh, this is a great way to segue into some final thoughts. We have some excellent questions from the audience that I'd love to get to. But before we part, um, I'd like to hear from both of you on any additional advice you have for organizations just trying to decide where to focus their efforts, where to start intervening in SDOH. So maybe I'll start with you, Arjun. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm in a position to give anyone advice. I'm just looking at the data. I'm the data guy really doing analysis around this. But uh, really understanding your population is very important. Really understanding what what your disease burdens are, what your social factors are in, in your different zip codes that you serve uh, to really help direct your plan and formulate a, a really good plan around what, what should be your first focus because no, no one can really tackle all social factors right right away, even though we would like to. So really making it, keeping it realistic, trying to see where your low hanging fruit is, what is your major, uh, majorly impacted social concerns, what 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 kind of impact do they have on health outcomes uh, in general, that's what could be your first step in really uh, going into the right, right direction before you can actually cover up everything. Uh, and try to solve every problem. We, no one can solve every problem right away. So really pri prioritizing what issue to look at first, understanding that your population becomes uh, really important in that. Uh, and like we've always talked about, standardizing data collection. Jen said it is a big issue. And if we can figure out a way to do that, it becomes a lot more easier to really aggregate that data across different sources and really makes it a lot more meaningful. Uh, and meaningful to really address this issue and really try to do more uh, meaningful outcomes. Uh, and one other uh, important point would be to really focus on closing the loop. So just identifying the right patients and coding and uh, getting the population of different social concerns is not enough. Really connecting them to community sources, try to get collect data on them connecting to the different sources becomes a lot more important. So when you close that loop of identifying patients and then connecting to resources, 
you can really do a, a proper analysis around if a patient was identified for housing, when once they were uh, connected to a community resource for housing, uh, that, that really moved the needle on the health outcomes. And that in the long run would be really important to really do more of the ROI analysis or really focus on if connecting to a community resource really helps patients and their outcomes. And Jen, what advice would you give to organizations trying to figure out where to start, where to prioritize? Well, I think Arjun had it had it right. Definitely look at your data and figure out, you know, what is the low hanging fruit? Where are your your areas that you need to pay the most attention to? Um, you know, I talked a lot about our housing uh, recoding effort uh, previously, and you know that was one area that we really um, were able to make some impactful gains. Um, the state now uh, has an additional PMPM for us on. Um, uh, those members that are unhoused. So the incentive is there to make sure that we're properly coding uh, when we have members that have been identified as homeless. So um, we have found, you know, best practices I should have mentioned earlier, providing that financial incentive has also helped us. And we have seen some gains um, financially back from just, you know, having those, um, provider incentives and, and provider group incentives out there for um, for those uh, groups to, to make sure that they're coding uh, their members when they're homeless, for example. But, um, you know, I, I saw a question in the chat about, you know, just how do you partner with your community organizations? And I, you know, I would say we've, you know, obviously the state of Washington is very large and diverse. <clears throat> it's going to look different in every community within the state of Washington, and it's gonna look different in your community from where you're viewing from. Um, but right now I do know that there's a lot of financial uh, money out there. There's uh, financial assistance out there from the government in terms of community-based organization grants and capacity building. And I think that is really where we need to spend our efforts right now. So, you know, us as a large health system, uh, or health payer and large health systems across across the country can partner with their community-based organizations to enhance that capacity. Um, that's a great place to start because you start making those connections with those community-based organizations that have their their boots on the ground in the community. They're also helping to funnel uh, prospective members our way that they find that need financial uh, assistance and help with with different social needs. So. I think it's going to, you know, obviously look different for every organization, but you know, some of the best practices that we talked about earlier, um, with you know, finding those top three challenges and, and tackling them by utilizing your data, um, using your technology, and empowering your care teams. You know, using that patient registry um, has been key for us in attaching, you know, those social parameters to those reports and customizing them and sharing with the. The, the different aspects uh, across the organization. And then, you know, as, as we just talked about, you know, those community partnerships are key and you're not, you're not really going to make those strides unless you have social workers, community health workers, somebody in those communities partnering with those community-based organizations to make that connection to back to your organization. And we found that that has been, has been really helpful. So. Uh, I, I know it's a challenge by no means. Arjun and I are, are the experts in this, and I'm, hopefully this is just the start of the conversation around SDOH. And you know, I look, 
I look forward to you know learning what what others are doing in this space because I think we we are at this point where we need to start sharing and learning from each other because it, it's a huge issue as we all know. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Excellent. So I will pass this back to Mike to address some of the really wonderful audience questions. Just want to say one more time, thank you so much to both you, Jen, and you, Arjun. Uh, Mike, over to you. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Lenny. This was such an informative discussion. Um, we've had great chatter from the audience, so I'm going to go ahead and ask some of those questions. I think we touched on some of these questions already, but I'd love to ask some of them again to dig in a little bit deeper on these topics. Um, Arjun, I think the first one is for you because this person is asking about the numbers attributed to the SQH issues that you cited at the beginning of the conversation and maybe were included in some of the infographics that we've shared. Uh, things like two times more likely to be readmitted, five times more likely to be in the ER. Can you share a little bit about how that data is gathered? And are there other confounders looked at while you while you looking into those um, those data points? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think in order to do that, we did we had done like a community report around like trying to aggregate information from multiple of our customers who are doing a good job and really identifying. Uh, SUH uh, members really doing a good job in ICD coding or did have certain uh, prepare surveys at disposal and which were flowing into Arcadia. So we did like a cross customer section around multiple different customers, different type of customers and really focused on uh, really social factors for across customers and try to identify patients at, at least who had at least a social concern versus not and really looked at cost utilization around for that for that particular calendar year of how how a social factor might impact uh, outcomes for those patients uh, there, there there is uh, like like uh, the person also mentioned there could be uh, other factors contributing to those uh, to those outcomes as well uh, for which we try to normalize the data a lot more to uh, really try to tell a story around uh, what does a social uh, factor would impact a health outcome? Uh, so that was part of the analysis uh, cross customer. Fantastic. And Jen, I think I think this one was directed to you. Do you have any recommendations for screening tools? This person is saying they recently implemented a screening tool that's available from accountable health communities and CMS. Are there any tools out there that you would you would suggest using? Uh, there's a lot of a lot of different tools out there. I know one that is popular across our our organization is Prepare, um, and I think we can we can probably put some resources out there. But um, <clears throat> I, I have also found that there is no one standard tool that fits well for every organization. As I mentioned earlier, there's you know regional differences or um, differences in ways uh, questions want to be asked for to be. You know, culturally appropriate for that given population. So um, we've really had to be flexible in terms of looking at at different tools. And it, it, unfortunately, we haven't found one golden tool that fits the need for every every community that we serve. And so, you know, I think 
I think at this point, the best recommendation would be just to look at a few and then talk to your community partners to see which questions resonate with them, which questions might need to be reconfigured to meet the needs of your population and resonate with them as well. I think you already answered this next question um, just by answering that question. But uh, the next one is, do you prefer Z codes? Do you prefer prepare? Is one better than the other? Or like, what would you say to that? What would you say the best way to collect this, this data is? Uh, gosh, I don't know that there is just one golden best way to collect this data. We have taken a multi-prong approach to this because we have different barriers in different communities. You know, different CHCs have different levels of staffing resources that are available to do this work. Um, and we have different level of engagement across our provider groups. I will say it's been really helpful to find, find that one or the one or two people in an organization that are really passionate about um, social services and and connecting folks to social services. Um, you know, SDOH is a is a great topic these days. It's a great buzzword, but find someone who's pretty passionate about mm -hmm. this work because we've been able to find those people and and really help further the work that we're doing with those organizations. So, you know, we'll have, you know, one or two, three, uh, uh, four organizations that are really passionate right now on um, respite housing and want to work with, with us and, and thinking of creative ways that we can connect members to um, housing after um, inpatient discharge, for example. And we've got another three or four that are working on social isolation um, and how to capture that, whether it's through a survey or on a claim with a Z code. It's just depending dependent upon who's doing the work. Is it upfront with a with a um, with an assessment, or is it more resources on the coding billing side with a Z code? So, just find those pa passionate folks in your in your organizations to work with, and it really helps the collaboration go a little bit further. So, so I love that, and I want to put a pin. Yeah, Arjun, I'm going to throw it over to you. I'm going to put a pin on the the staffing resources uh, conversation. But I was going to say, speaking of passionate people about SDOH, I know Arjun has some stuff to say about this as well. No, yeah, uh, I'm one of those passionate people who love working on SDOH. But just to add on Jen's point around what is the, what are the right sources, I feel not like just to reiterate what Jen said not one source is not enough like the more sources you have you can more avenues you have to identify patients uh, it goes a long way so for example if you're just focusing on z codes there might not be a specific z code to identify transportation issues so you need a different avenue to collect information on transportation and that's where the prepare survey comes in which has specific questions around asking you about transportation issues and then when you aggregate the two sources you have a lot more ICD codes, but you also have this additional members identified through prepare, which could may not be identified through ICD codes. And we actually did an analysis for a non-for-profit organization in the Pacific Northwest, where that organization really incentivized ICD coding, but because they also had prepared, we could identify around 11,000 more additional patients by using that additional prepare survey, which may not be identified using just ICD codes. So when you're talking about sources, the more sources you have at your disposal, the better, uh, as long as they are, uh, again, standardization and aggregating them can be a challenge, but in terms of just identification, 
uh, you cannot just rely on one particular source. Yeah, that additional 11,000 folks that they found, that's a beautiful illustration of just gathering as much data in as many different formats as possible. It's like, yeah, it might be a little messy, but it's important to, to have that and document it. And then people like you can figure out what to do with it. Um, the, the, the next question, I want to be cognizant of time. We have about five minutes here. And so I'm going to go through two more questions. The rest of the questions I'll share with you, Jen and Arjun. You know, maybe, maybe you can have some side conversations with these folks afterwards. Um, but Jen, you mentioned something about the possibility of social workers applying Z codes. Can you talk a little bit about that more? Like, who can code? Who can add those, um, those codes into the system? And um, what are the options there for finding those passionate people and giving them the tools uh, to succeed in this? Yes, well, and that might look different depending on what state you're in. Our state, you're able to, as social workers, community health workers, um, MAs, for example, can apply those Z codes. So workflow-wise, um, you know, I talked about the data collection of, of a survey in the waiting room. Um, you know, the MA can go ahead and, and enter that into the EHR, uh, that way that there's evidence there. The, whether or not the provider has time to capture that Z code, it's it's there for the billing team to to add at some point. But uh, that way, there's like several points of potential capture, and hopefully by the end, before the visit is closed out, we've got we've got a code captured there. But um, in in our state, um, it does not have to be a provider that adds a Z code to a claim. Fantastic, um, Arjun. This this question is for you. It's a product question. This person saying they took a peek at the SUH package product info, and it illustrates how patients are identified from both claims and clinical data and added to a registry. After that occurs, do you recommend using a certain assessment or creating your own within the CM platform? Does the information within the assessment get drilled down within the data look back? Do you have any additional, oh, yes. additional information about that? Yeah, good question. And I think definitely, like, we try to capture as much data into that SGH package as possible. So if you have ICD codes, clinical uh, diagnosis, we do capture that. If if your organization uses the prepare survey or any other survey through the EHR, and we have connectors in place to get that data into Arcadia, we have access to capture that as well. We also, if you if you do use the Arcadia care management uh uh, product as well, and you have assessments in the Arcadia care management, we have ability to capture information around SGH factors through that source as well. So we can leverage all four different data sources and aggregate that together in the look back period uh, for our SGH package. Fantastic. I'm going to ask one more question because, Jen, I think this is a good one, and I really want to get to it before we, we all head out back to our, our busy days. Um, has anyone used SDOH data to advocate for direct financial support from the health system and to the social support partner organizations that can best work on some of these issues? Do you have any thoughts around that, Jen? Yes. So, um, you know, there was a lot of work in our state around, around housing. And I think I mentioned earlier that we now have um, an added uh, PMPM PM for members that are coded uh, or experiencing uh, homelessness. 
So that was kind of a, a direct result of a lot of work around showing the need that we have in our community and not being able to address uh, address the need because we didn't really have things clearly documented or there wasn't that financial uh, attachment to to that to that Z code. So um, we've also had uh, community organizations come to us, our CHCs come to us and say, yes, we've got you know this pocket of 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 your members that are experiencing this social need. Is there you know anything that we can do from um, an incentive standpoint, a pilot project. Um, we definitely have used data to kind of highlight those those disparate areas and try to find those interventions to best meet the needs of those particular members. And I think we've just scratched the surface with with that um, because of the demonstrated success that we've had with with um, coding homelessness and getting that extra PM PM with the state. You know, trying to advocate especially now since the pandemic and many are experiencing social isolation, that social need has been elevated in, in our, um, our strategic plan in terms of what we'd like to look at across uh, our network. So I think we still have more to come there, but um, definitely looking for further partnerships there. Fantastic. Jen, Arjun, Linny, thank you so much for your insights today. Uh, this was a fantastic discussion. I learned a lot. I hope everyone else uh, who joined us today learned a lot. And thank you all in the audience for asking questions, sharing insights. This was a really productive discussion. And like Jen said at the top of this, like this is a journey that we're all going on together. So hopefully this just helps you along that journey. Um, please find additional resources over in the show notes or related content tab. I think it's over this way. I'm probably pointing in the wrong direction. Um, but we, we have some great information, more info about CHPW. If you want to learn about them, there's an article that Arjun and Linny worked on together, linked from that resources tab. There's some other things there. I also recommend going to arcadia.io slash vitals to subscribe, sign up for more sessions like this. Uh, we'll be meeting next month again. Um, we meet every month to have conversations like these. So go there, check it out, sign up, be part of the community, participate more. The recording of this session is also going to be available shortly, so keep an eye on your email for that. Again, we'll, we'll see you next month. We're excited to have more conversations like these, and thank you so much for joining us today. Again, Jen, Arjun, Lenny, thanks for your insights. Mm -hmm.